Psalm 31. Now this is a psalm of David and uh, I would suggest that the overall theme of this psalm shows us that when in times of stress, depending on God, requires complete commitment as David has cried out to the Lord many times and Nick will help us understand that more in a few minutes. So let's read Psalm 31 which says this, In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead me and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. As for me, I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbours and an object of dread to my closest friends. To those who see me on the street, flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, Lord, for I have cried out to you. But let the wicked be put to shame and be silent in the realm of the dead. Let their lying lips be silenced, for with pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence you hide them from all human intrigues, you keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. In my alarm, I said, I am cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word to us, 
And we ask that you bless Nick in opening it up to us this morning. Amen. Okay, hopefully that's good to go. Yeah. We've talked about, we call this series Practical Psalms, um, and then we've ended up talking uh, a lot of theory. Um, we've talked about parallelism, um, how Psalms, Hebrew poetry in general, it's written in couplets or triplets. Did you notice the parallelism in Psalm 31? I encourage you to get your Bibles open. Um, have a little look. Um, Even when it's into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. It's a little couplet. The second line sort of says the same thing or expands. Um, and there's a really interesting little pattern in, in the middle. Um, where was it? A thing of contrast. Let me not be put to shame, Lord, for I have cried out to you. Um, flip it over a contrast, let the wicked be put to shame and be silent um, in the realm of the dead. That's, that's kind of Hebrew poetry. You get the, you get the poetry? Um, let me not be put to shame for I've cried out. Let the wicked be put to shame and be silent. Um, it just helps you to get, um, if you think a lot in a line in the psalm, what does that mean? What's that really mean? Then by reading the next line in the couplet, quite often you can get a, you get a better idea of what's going on. We've talked about reading it from different viewpoints, how we need to uh, read the Psalms from David's point of view, because he is the Lord's chosen king. He is the Messiah of that moment in the, in the Old Testament. We've talked about reading it as an Old Testament believer. That's less important, but it gives you a little bit of extra perspective. But taking it through and then reading it um, as David foreshadows the Messiah, so we read it. What does this mean if we see this song uh, as being about Jesus or even uh, by Jesus, um, what does it mean to read it as, as Jesus would have read it and reading it as Jesus' voice? And then we can read it in Christ as Christians. So we've, we've talked about these things. And the reason is this gets us past the kind of pick and choose approach to the Psalms where we read them through and think, well, I, I like this bit. It talks about peace and something. And then this bit it talks about enemies. Well, who are my enemies? I don't really understand. Uh, there's nobody set up a siege against me or trapped me in the city. Um, how do I read it? Well, by reading it in this way, we're getting past this pick and choose approach, which says, well, there are bits I can understand and bits I can't, and I just write those off. And we've talked about getting it, feeling it, and doing it. And these tools, the parallelism, the different viewpoints, are so that you get it, so that you can read the psalm and say, yes, I understand that. I, I get it. And today, hopefully, we'll concentrate a bit more on making it practical. How do, uh, what is the feeling in this psalm? What is the tone? What, is, what am I supposed to do with my emotions? And, and the doing, then, what is my response? And, and the aim of the theory is to make them practical psalms for you. So here's my question to you, when I catch up, how practically are you going to use the Psalms? How practically already do you use the Psalms? Um, so I thought, an interesting little survey, Can you, um, how many Psalms do you recognise by their number? See what I mean? 
So how many psalms you, you can think of a number um, and, and know what that psalm is about? Um, so uh, get in quickly because I'm going to ask you just to shout out a number that you, know what the, you, that you know what that psalm is about. If you want to tell me what it's about too, that's fantastic. But I'll just give me a number. Somebody get in quickly because there's one that you all know. 23, thank you. Sorry? When 21, yeah, 121. Um, and that, I lift up my eyes to the hills, yeah. When you're wondering where your help's going to come from, Psalm 23, maybe we need some comfort from the Lord. Any others that you know by number? 139. Yeah. Uh, uh, give me a flavour. Search me and you know me. Search me and you know me, yeah. All the days of my life are written in your book for one of them come to be. One, one through nine. They're great, great psalms of comfort. Any, any others? 51, which is quick flavor. It's David crying out for, uh, for forgiveness when you need forgiveness. It's a good su- number. Number one. Yeah. Sorry? 103. See, I can't tell you what that is off, off the top of my head. Praise the Lord on my inmost being. Psalm 119, I would expect that you know, which is a great, it's a great long psalm that's kind of like, and it's just a, it's a, it, it's a prayer of delight in, in, in the word of God. Um, so the reason for that is, how are you going to make practical use of the psalms? What, I mean... Um, so you're going, to need, you're going to need to know a few numbers. You're going to need to know a few numbers about where am I going to turn um, when I need a particular kind of help. Um, or the alternative is that, is you make Psalms part of your everyday life. In other words, you make them part of your daily Bible reading, which I, w- I would suggest that you uh, work your way through some Psalms. Um, uh, you might want to add that into whatever you're doing, or it might be part of your reading Bible in a year anyway. Because the Psalms are so key about giving us a language with which to um, relate to the Lord, uh, giving us an emotional range and language with which to relate to the Lord. And here is one which I was not particularly familiar with, which is Psalm 31. Um, And it's a Psalm of uh, trust, David's trust in the Lord um, in difficult times. And I would suggest for this morning, as we look at it, that we, that, that we focus on these famous words. And the reason that we're picking these particular psalms that we're doing at the moment is that they are ones that find a specific fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Um, and today, that is Psalm 5, where David says, in the midst of difficulty, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I entrust my life to you, Lord. I stake my life on you. So let's read it a little bit from David's point of view. Let me give you the structure of the psalm. See, I think he goes, um, he looks through his personal troubles. So there's a prayer in verses 1 to 5. Um, then he expresses his confidence in the Lord in verses um, uh, 6 um, to 8. And then he does, there's another prayer, again, verses 9 to 13, in more detail. Um, going in a bit deeper, um, and then uh, here is expression of trust, again with the Lord, verses 14 to 18, and then I'm going to pack the, you can, you can split it into smaller sections, but those first four sections, David is really 
talking about himself and out of his own experience. And then there's a corporate bit at the end where he wants to gather other people in and he wants to ask them to, uh, to join with him um, and, and to make a response. And if we very briefly read about what David, what the David situation is. So what is this situation that is called, causing David to say, I stake my life on you, into your hands I commit my spirit? Well, there's a very imminent threat to his life. Uh, verse 11, because of all my enemies. They're looking to trap him. It says in verse uh, 4, keep me free from the, uh, the trap that is, is set for me. So this trap is military or political. So it's a, it's a trap of, of very serious uh, life or death type consequences. They're plotting to take his life, he says in verse 13. It's, David is in a life or death kind of danger. There is terror on every side, he says. And by the end of the psalm, we actually find out um, that he says, um, I was in a city. You showed me this love when I was in a city um, under siege. So whether he's looking back there or this is his current trouble, these are the kind of dangers uh, David faced. They're, they were very serious. They were very physical. So we read about David's danger. We feel David's distress, particularly in uh, verses 9 to to 13 he says um, my eyes grow weak my eyes grow weak uh, with sorrow in other words he can't see anything he's cried so he's probably you get the feeling that he's cried so much with sorrow with tears that he just can't see anything very much um, but his heart is, is so full of sorrow that he can't really see uh, metaphorically either he can't see anything um, but sorrow around him have you had that kind of experience body and soul, his, his whole being says, my, my eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body um, grow weak with, with grief. I wonder whether you've built up a whole load of grief over the last, uh, over the last year. He says his life is consumed um, with, with anguish in verse 10, and, and it's a verse which, it's a word rather, the Hebrew word anguish, which kind of implies being in narrow straits, being cramped up or, or in a tight spot. Maybe that's the siege. Um, uh, maybe it is in this siege situation. My strength fails and my bones grow weak. Trouble has come from all corners at him. It's one of those moments in life. He's having one of those moments where everything seems to be trouble. Whichever way he looks, um, it seems to be trouble. Uh, you know, for you, it might be trouble at work, trouble at home, um, trouble at church, um, trouble somewhere else. You know, they have those moments where trouble seems to come from all corners, and it's sapping his physical strength and his mental strength. And it's made him the contempt of his neighbours, he says in verse, um, verse 11. Uh, so his, his neighbours are looking down on him. Um, he's an object of dread to his closest friends. What does that mean? He's just, his, his friends think, I just don't, at this moment in his time, I don't want to have anything to do with him, either because he's, I don't know, there's a brokenness of relationship, or they just think, well, wow, he's having bad luck this moment in time. I'm not going to go anywhere near David for this moment. And he says, um, those, on the, those who see me on the street flee from me. He's kind of, he's even a bit scary. Uh, maybe the look of his eye when he walks down the street. He's having such a bad time that even, even total strangers look at him and go, whoa, and just kind of like step a little bit further away. And so he's forgotten, feels totally forgotten. That's an awful thing, isn't it? 
forgotten by um, people uh, around him. That's a kind of total loneliness. He says it's like being dead. It's like being dead. And actually, when we read down into um, Psalm 22, he, he, in this situation, the situation is so bad that he thinks that he's cut off um, from the Lord's sight. He thinks he's become in, invisible to the Lord. That's a real sense of distress, isn't it? But yet, at the same time, as David is expressing this distress to the Lord, he's also uh, expressing a, a confidence um, in the Lord. So against this background of kind of physical threat and, and, and mental breakdown, he, he expresses his trust in the Lord in a, kind of, in a past tense, which I think is his way of saying, you've done this before um, and you're going to do uh, this for me again. So he says, I hate those. Um, I'm going to trust you, he says. We'll come back to the idols. He says, I, I trust in the Lord, he says. Um, uh, let me never be put to shame. So this embarrassment of broken relationships, please, Lord, don't let me be put to shame. He says, turn your ear to me, come quickly, be a rock of refuge, a fortress to save me. He wants physical safety um, from his enemies. Um, keep me safe from the trap. He wants, um, he wants kind of political safety. And he commits himself, he commits his whole life into your hands. I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. I stake my life on you. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. I'm going to trust in the Lord. So people will trust in all kinds of things. We'll come back to that later on, but I'm not going to do it. I will be glad and rejoice for you saw my affliction. You saw it. What was going on in my heart? You knew the anguish of my soul. You've not given me into the hands of my enemy. You set my feet in a spacious place. We'll come back to space as well later on. And he continues to expect God to fulfill his covenant relationship with him. Um, so when you become a Christian, you come into a covenant relationship with God. He says, I am your God uh, and you are my people. And it, and it is a pact, it is a bonding together. I can't remember now how it was expressed in the words of the song. Uh, what, is, uh, what is Christ's, um, it is yours. And so he says, my times are in your hand. He says, I trust you because I say you are my God. In other words, I, I get this covenant and I'm going to stand on this covenant relationship. And so I'm going to put my times, my life, the details of my life in your hand. Let your face shine on your servant. It uh, harks back to number six and the blessing, the priestly blessing. Let your face shine on your servant. Let me not be put to shame. How abundant are the good things that you've um, stored up. Uh, for those who fear you. There's kind of echoes of Psalm 23 as well, aren't there, in this? How abundant are the good things you've stored up for those who fear you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them. And he prays for the covenant blessings. He also prays for the covenant curses. As we took that verse at the beginning, let the wicked be put to shame. Um, let those who are faithful receive God's covenants, blessings. Let those who are unfaithful receive God's covenant curses. We'll come back to enemies and cursing uh, uh, later in the series, or possibly in a late, uh, probably in a later series. So that's David. Um, that's David's, um, David's danger, David's uh, 
distress David's deliverance. But then he opens it out um, in verse 19 onwards. And there are two reasons why I think he can open this psalm out to a bunch of other people. uh, Two reasons. One is that what is true for the king is true for the king's people. So if David was victorious, the nation had peace. See, that's clear, isn't it? If David is victorious, the nation has peace. What is true for the king um, becomes true for the people. If David was obedient, um, the people had prosperity. So the people received blessings um, through their king. And the second reason why he can, ex- he can extend this uh, to the other people is that he's not the only one in covenant relationship with God. Um, all these individual people have entered into a covenant relationship with God too. They've been saved by grace um, through faith. And now they show their covenant loyalty to God. And he he encourages them um, in his last few verses, 19 through to to 23, um, to fear God, to obey him, to take refuge in him, um, to understand that God is storing up good things for them, that God will hide them in his presence. These are the covenant blessings of God, that he will keep them safe. And so David, at the end, then he calls them to be strong and take heart. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Be strong, take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Not doing very well with the PowerPoint, am I? But what's intriguing is that Jesus takes up the words of this psalm on, on the cross, and that's partly why we're here and looking at it. And that shouldn't entirely surprise us because what happens to David, the Lord's anointed king, the Lord's Messiah for that moment in time is a foreshadowing of a reality of something that comes true in Jesus, the Lord's Messiah, um, his anointed king um, over the whole world. And so there's, a, there's an intrig- intriguing little encounter in Luke 11. Um, Jesus is at a Pharisee's house for a meal. And Jesus is saying, woe to the Pharisees for all their hypocrisy. And then at the end of the meal, Jesus went outside. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him um, in something he might say. So David's been in in this siege. He's been besieged um, by his enemies. And so I thought, well, let's see if that ever comes up in the New Testament. And that's the only time um, the word besiege um, comes up in the, uh, in, in a, certainly in the NIV, um, in, in the New Testament. Um, and actually, it's only comes up, it only comes up in, then in, in Luke. And it's an interesting use of, of language. So Jesus is, is besieged um, by the Pharisees. And uh, this, this is a siege that is going to go on. It's only going to go on uh, and grow. Uh, this, so the besieging that Jesus is under is a plotting um, a process of, of plotting and planning that ultimately is going to come, uh, is come to its ultimate conclusion in the crucifixion when Jesus is on the cross. And again, uh, in the words of Luke, and these are, are, are unique to Luke, we read this. It's Jesus on the cross. It was now about noon. Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple uh, was torn in two and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
And when he said this, he breathed his last. So Jesus, in that moment, picks up this verse from the psalm and all that it implies. So in that moment, he applies um, Psalm 31 um, to himself. So in that moment, Jesus says, Father, I stake my life on you. I stake my life on you. He says, I'm, I'm about to die. In fact, Jesus gives up his spirit. It's not taken from him. As he lays down his life, he puts his trust for his life in his father, that his father will, will raise him in, in due course from the dead. And he says that with confidence because he's the perfect truster of God. David says all these grand words, but I bet he didn't live it every moment of every day of his life. Jesus could say these grand words of the psalm and mean it uh, down to the, the last millisecond of, of every moment uh, of his life because he is the obedient truster. And that has implications. The people's blessing in David's day uh, depended on the victory of their king and their personal covenant relationship with God. It depended on those two things. It's the same with you this morning, wherever you're at. Uh, if you want to be right with God, it depends on the victory of Christ on the cross. and It depends on you entering into a covenant relationship with the Lord. So the victory of Christ benefits his, his people. Jesus has won the victory for us. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory that Paul is, is talking about is, is, a, is a victory over death. What Paul is saying is that you can say to God this morning, into your life, um, I commit my spirit. You can say that now, so that come the end of your life, when you stand before the, uh, the judgment seat of, uh, of God, um, you will stand there in the victory of Christ. In other words, uh, the sting of death, which is sin, has been taken away, it's been paid for by, by Christ on the cross. So Jesus goes to the cross and he, he expresses to the Father uh, his confidence in Psalm 31. But by being the perfect truster of God uh, and in God's economy, he offers to, to give that to you and I. Credit that to you and I to be the perfect, treated as the perfect trusters of God, the perfect fearers of God, the perfect people who are perfectly true to God uh, as David would have wanted to be in the, in the psalm and your response to that then the, the response to Jesus saying this on the cross is, is for you this morning to say into your hands I commit my spirit 
Father God, on the basis of what Christ has done on the cross, I stake my life on you. Stake my life on you today. Such that when the day comes that I die, I can say the same thing again in total confidence into your hands I commit my spirit. In fact, that's the only way to die well. It's the only way to die confidently is to have said today into your hands I commit my spirit. If you've done that before God today or, or at some point in the past, then you can commit your spirit, your life, um, into the Lord in, in some practical ways along the way. David says, let me never be put to shame. If you say to, to Jesus this morning, in, into your hands I commit my spirit, then you've taken refuge from shame. Um, in the sense that when you stand before Jesus, you stand before the Lord, you won't be shamed. You won't be shamed. If you don't say that, then on the day of judgment, you're, you're just going to be exposed. You're going to be ripped to shreds. Uh, and your life is going to be uh, displayed for all to see in, in, in all its, uh, whatever it is. I don't need to tell you that. But day by day, you can come. We need to come. Uh, and ask for that forgiveness. Protect me from shame. Lord, take away, uh, take away my, my guilt today of the things that I've done. You can call for help. So that was verse one. I'm just working again through this on briefly if you want to have it in front of you. Um, turn your ear to me. Come quickly um, to my rescue. Now, listen to this. <clears throat> What does, what does David say? That is very close, very close to the Lord say to David saying to the Lord, "Listen up." And I'm not saying this disrespectfully, and I suggest you be careful in your language. But it's not far away, and it's not far away from David saying to the Lord, "Hurry up, please." But he's not saying it in arrogance; he's saying it in desperation. And you in desperation then could say to the Lord, turn your ear, please, please, Lord, listen. And you can say to the Lord, please come quickly, make a change, do something and do it now. You can add in, for the sake of your name, lead me and guide me. The, the psalmist used that argument repeatedly. Lord, please come and rescue me and save me. Yes, I want to be rescued and saved from whatever it is in front of me, just for my sake, but please, but for your sake too. Don't want God to be put to shame by our behaviour, by our repeated falling into sin, by our, uh, by the tricky situations that we've got ourselves into at work or in life or in relationships. Along the way, we like David, we say. We repudiate. He says, I hate those who cling to worthless idols. I think what he means is I repudiate it. But again, we'll come back to these things another day somewhere in the future about hating idols and enemies. And you need to. Um, and an idol is anything that you rely on to make you feel good um, other than the Lord. Anything that you feel you can't do without. Different kinds of substances. I'm not going to go into it. Um, alcohol, drugs, whatever it may be. Different kinds of images. 
whatever that might be. Or it might be a role in your work. You feel this is what gives me significance. Without it, I'm nothing. It might even be a role in church. Anything that you rely on to make you feel good. Any of those things is a trap that's set for you. Relationships. Anything that you rely on to make you feel good that you're not using under God with thanks to God and in a godly way. You can pray for space. I find this really intriguing and I don't claim to have got to the bottom of this. But this is all about space. This psalm in a way. David is, says at the end that he's, he's besieged. I just don't, do you feel, it's, it's great isn't it? There's a little bit of that freedom, freedom this morning. We'll see how far that goes during the summer. But let's pray that, that it carries on. David's been besieged, he's been cooped up. He's been um, pressed into this small space, this sense of anguish, as we said before, is a, a sense of being cramped or, or contained. He says, bring me out into a, into a spacious place. I need to have from you, Lord, that, that sense that there is freedom to, to, to move around and do stuff. I think we have a natural need for green spaces and I think that's one of the things maybe you find hard to access. Um, so I'm not going to uh, say that's not a, not a wrong thing to pray for. That you get more of that. But I think it's an intriguing prayer. I haven't got to the bottom of that. But David prays for a sense of, a sense of space, breathing room. Breathing room that comes out of his relationship with the God. So you can take refuge from shame, you can call for help, repudiate idols, pray for space, that sense of breathing room, pour out your emotions because the Lord can, can handle them. What are David's emotions? Sorrow. He says to the Lord, I'm full of sorrow. He says to the Lord, my body and soul are full of grief. He says to the Lord, I'm consumed with anguish. And my years by groaning, Lord, I'm just groaning and groaning and it's going on and actually it's eating up, it's eating up the rest of my life. And my strength fails because of my afflictions and it's in my bones. I feel contempt. People dread me. I, I feel forgotten. I've, I just experience of scorn and, and, and contempt. And the Lord can handle that. David brings his powerful emotions. As we said before, if you don't feel you can bring your powerful feelings to the Lord, and you say, well, I can only, you know, I've got this much feeling and I can't bring it to the Lord. I'll just bring this much. Well, then there's this much that you're trying to handle or contain or push off somewhere else and it will only come back. You can pray in covenant expectation. So, one of the commentaries I read, I can't remember which one, said, by covenant, you have a right to expect the Lord to act. By covenant, you have a right to expect the Lord to act. I have to say that respectfully and carefully, but it's true. You've entered into a covenant relationship where you've bound yourself to the Lord and the Lord has bound himself to you. And so you can pray, do these things for the sake of your name. Make your face shine upon me. In other words, please give me, Lord, um, real concrete blessings. Will you please, Lord, make those things that aren't going well for me go well for me? 
and you can commit your times uh, into God's hands. There was one more in here. Recognize that your outer circumstances don't constrain the Lord. That's really important. Don't you love those verses? Really helpful. Uh, verse 21. Praise to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in the city under siege. In my alarm, I said, I'm cut off from your sight. You heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. In my alarm, David said, I'm cut off from your sight. So in, in, in my pressure, in, in that moment, I thought that I was invisible because of the pressure. I thought it was invisible, but it was because, but it was because of my alarm. In other words, I got a bit carried away um, and I wasn't thinking straight. And he says, when I'm thinking straight, of course I know I'm not invisible to you. You hear me, you heard my cry for mercy um, when I called for you to self. So recognize that outer circumstances are not uh, are not painting a picture of how the Lord sees you. Just because you're in a dire straits in that situation doesn't mean the Lord has cut you off or you're invisible. Commit your times to his hands. I can't remember what verse that's in there. Yeah. But um, your times then are your, you know, you look at your diary on a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, what's in the week? What's in the times? Commit your times to him. Look through it and just say, well, this is what I'm going to need here. This is what I'm going to need here. This is what I'm going to need here. It's practical. Practical relating to the Lord. Let's sum it up. Jesus stakes his life on his father as the perfect truster of God foreshadowed by David in the psalm. Which means that you can stake your life on him now. In fact, you need to stake your life on him now. And as you trust him, then you're considered uh, the perfect truster of God. Your sins paid for on the cross and the righteousness of Christ, which includes the perfect trust of his father, is credited to you. So that at, de at death, you can say with confidence, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And so that in the meantime, you can trust him, stake the moments of your life on him and, and do these things that it says at the end. Praise be to the Lord. I'm gonna praise the Lord. Just gonna to return to praise. Love the Lord, all his faithful people. I'm gonna love him. I'm gonna to learn to love him the Lord preserves those who are true to him and be strong and take heart all you who hope in the Lord let's pray Lord Jesus we look to you and we thank you that you went to the cross and you, uh, you said to your father into your hands I, I, I commit my spirit And because you were perfectly innocent and the perfectly trusted, the perfect, you were the perfect truster. You were vindicated by the Father and he raised you from the dead. And in that crucifixion and resurrection, we, uh, we have died to what was against us. The charges against us and we're risen to new life. 
So we say to you this morning, into your hands I commit my spirit. And if you haven't said that to the Lord and you want to, you want to do that, then you just say those words to him. I think it's as simple as that this morning. Lord Jesus, we commit our, our spirit into your hands. Help us to trust you this week. And please take us right through to the end of our lives, trusting in you, who has our lives in your hand. In Jesus' name, amen.